Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And I received my first ever bad beat payout on Wednesday, John. Uh, DraftKings was feeling bad about several of its big boosted bets of the day in a row losing. So on Tuesday, the sportsbook tried for a nearly sure thing boosting a Giannis Antetokounmpo double-double from (laughs) minus 500 odds to even money with a $25 max. I went in for the max, and he got injured in the third quarter, two rebounds shy of a double-double, clearly on his way to paying out if he hadn't gotten hurt. But DraftKings paid the bet as if it won, since they really were trying to lose this bet in the first place and give customers some free money. Uh, So now that I've personally experienced losing a bet and getting paid as if I won the bet, It feels a little bit empty, but having $50 in my account that I don't deserve is definitely better than not having that $50 in my account. Uh, John, any opinions on this bad beat payout? Uh, And did you happen to take part and wager, say, $5 on this one? Uh, Well, Eric, uh, I didn't notice it because I've been very busy working this week and somebody (laughs) cough coughed and informed me about it. So um, (laughs) sorry. I'm a little surprised at this one, actually. You know, clearly potential injury is part of the wager and, and players do get hurt. Uh, you look good on a Bryce Harper under Homer's preseason bet, right? Because you have noticed that because he has not missed many games in recent years, he gets banged up a lot and has power droughts. Now, this year he's missed 20 games in the first half. And the book doesn't get to say, hey, that's not fair. We assumed he'd play 150-plus games again. Right. You know, so I don't, I don't really get it. I'm still undefeated on these bets, by the way, over the years. And it's a big part why I've pretty much quadrupled my modest bankroll in that time. Um, it's a good reminder, though, that it's true that the books really don't want you to lose every bet because then you get frustrated and you quit. You mm-hmm. whine and meal to your friends and family about it and they don't sign up and not good for anybody. Um, and then it's a reminder, too, that uh, apparently there aren't that many people as frugal as I am yet are willing to risk a little money, at least. Uh, if there are more me's, either they wouldn't offer these lures or they'd be a lot more judicious about who gets them and who doesn't. Yeah, you mentioned that you're undefeated in these. Yeah, there are the ones that that they basically give you that can't lose, which this wasn't quite that, but it was inching toward that. I guess if they really wanted to just give everyone $25, they could have done one of those here, like make it Giannis over 0.5 points or something like that. Um, But this was a case where they were clearly trying to give money away. It was a promo boost. And there was a legit bad beat, although you're right that injuries are part of the game. He was on his way to hitting the double double clearly. So they probably would have pissed off a lot of customers if they hadn't done this one, which goes back to the dangers of the precedent they set with bad beat payouts. Um, Now they could have done a refund rather than grading it as a win. And I I think people would have been okay with that. But as we've said many times, these companies love losing money for now in exchange for building customer loyalty. Uh, And uh, on, on my end, that $50 will pay about 3% of what it costs to fix the busted air conditioning ducts in our new house. So I'll take it. Every little bit helps. Yeah. It, but as I say, that is that reminder of why are they doing this? So again, you got to think from their side of things. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we don't want you to lose all your money too quickly. And if you're struggling a little bit, 
And obviously, you know, there's a serious issue of the problem gambling we've talked about so many times and will again. But this is a separate thing. This is just, you know, person's very casual. But if they lose a little too much, they're just not going to be into it anymore. They don't want people to give up. So they're going to do these little things. I still think this is a weird one, though. Yeah, there's some weirdness to it, but as a beneficiary of it, I'm uh, I'm not going <laughs> to complain. Uh, th- <laughs> thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 149 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 148 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. If you bet the under on Gamble On lasting 148 and a half episodes, sorry, no bad beat refunds. <laughs> nice. And uh, coming up a little later in the show, we'll be joined by New Jersey Assemblyman Ralph Caputo, a leading voice on gambling related issues in the state. We'll get his takes on the legalization of esports betting and online casino cannibalizing Atlantic City or not. And we'll even get him to tell some personal stories about, yes, hanging out with Mickey Mantle. True stories. Uh, first, it's been, at least for me, if you check my uh, recent uh, publications, a busy <laughs> week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Our colleagues at Sports Handle have published not one, not two, but three breaking news stories in the past six days on the hopes for Ohio sports betting legalization. We discussed Ohio with Jill Dorson last week. The casinos were not happy with the legislation. But then some political machinations got a new bill attached to an unrelated bill, this one more palatable to the casinos, and it passed the state Senate unanimously toward the end of the week. However, the House did not vote on it, and House Speaker Bob Cup told the Cincinnati Inquirer that it would have to wait until after the summer break. So it seemed the news was pretty much all bad until Wednesday, when Cup and Senator Kirk Schuring both said the sports betting will be a top priority in the fall, and stopping short of a guarantee, they said they intended to get it passed in September. The wind keeps blowing back and forth in Ohio, and all we know for sure is that nothing is getting done before September. Uh, But John, do you see reason to believe this fall is when Ohio finally crosses the finish line? (laughs) <laughs> I love the state. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe the bad news is the good news, Eric, sort of. By that, I mean, Ohio lawmakers don't seem to much care about sports betting. And maybe that's good because Lord knows there are at least 100 more pressing issues in the state. Right. So, of course, this assumes that's how lawmakers are spending the time they don't spend on finishing off sports betting legalization. And, well, I'm not sure what else they're doing, frankly. So all I can say is I'm heading out to uh, what they call Nickel G's in Chicago in about mm-hmm. 10 days. That's the National Council of Legislators from Gaming States Conference. And the previous Nickel G's uh, president was from Ohio, and they still don't have sports betting. <laughs> I guess some states just can't have nice things. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like you're uh, you're leaning toward a no for Ohio this year. Yeah. Is that safe to say? Uh-huh. No, 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 no. Uh, maybe more than leaning then, I guess. And yeah, um, I, I'm definitely leaning that way. And to me, the big reason to predict this fails is just inertia and previous history. It's failed every time so far. Ohio keeps tripping over its own feet on this. It makes sense to predict failure again because you can only be wrong predicting that once, whereas you can be wrong many times in predicting it passes. Um, now, a politician telling you something will happen in September, with all due respect to our upcoming guest, Mr. Caputo, a uh, politician saying that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. And, and the way the bill was attached to an unrelated bill, as we learned with the UIGEA many years ago, that stuff can be very effective when it happens quickly at the 11th hour. 
But I feel like because it didn't get done immediately, once you go on recess and everyone has time to process the machinations, it gets a lot harder to sneak one by. So uh, I'd say I'm something like 65-35 that Ohio doesn't get it done in 2021. But that said, I do believe it will happen soon. It won't be too much longer because, you know, New York will be up and running in 2022. There will be big numbers coming out of that state once it gets up and running. I do believe that after that, a lot of these fence sitter states will get tipped toward passing sports betting bills. Well, this is what I liked about Arizona, what I don't like about Florida, which is that you figure out who are the power players in your state. And it's not the same in every state. Horse mm -hmm. racing is not involved everywhere. Uh, tribal casinos are not involved everywhere. Uh, sports teams are not involved everywhere. So, you know, arenas, stadiums, all these different potential power brokers um, in your state, figure out who they are. Everybody, you know, what's their beak, as I like to say, and mm -hmm. then it passes. Arizona is sailing through Florida. I'm waiting for the lawsuits. And Ohio, clearly, they were going to uh, kick the casinos out, which is insane in terms of uh, pol uh, politics and lobbying. So, of course, right. that didn't happen. And then they got it going forward. But then somebody else presumably decided they weren't getting enough. So uh, I, I don't like the way this is going there. And I don't know that it's going to happen in, in September. And I agree with you, though, that uh, I mean, next year, it's going to be harder and harder for any state to not do this. You know, we we take the Utah Hawaii exceptions. We don't know right. they're ever going to do any of this. <laughs> um, but other than that, I don't know how many states are going to be able to hold back. Uh, you know, like you say, New York presumably has some mobile sports betting massive numbers. Um, Texas and California are rumbling and um, and Florida, who knows. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to happen eventually for these states. But I feel bad for the locals, you know, who just they, they don't want to bet illegally. They don't want to go to the corner bookmaker. They don't want to bet online on some offshore account, but they just want to throw a little money down on their team and watch the game. And it's just the whim of the legislatures in each state. You know, you can do it and your cousin or your brother-in-law, whatever, in a different state, he, he can do it. It just it makes no sense, but it is what it is. Well, you mentioned uh, the Utah-Hawaii uh, exception um, that it just jogged my memory that uh, earlier this week I was listening to uh, the Get a Grip podcast uh, produced by our friends at Sports Handle, and they and uh, David Purdom was on this week, and they talked about uh, that there are two states that have not introduced any sports betting legislation at all, and my immediate thought was Utah and Hawaii, but it's actually not. I had forgotten something was introduced in Hawaii, even, even yes, if it's not yeah. going to be taken seriously. Do you know what the other state is besides Utah that has not introduced? Produced any legislation? Want to say one of the Dakotas? I'm giving myself two outs. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the right general vicinity. It's Wisconsin, um, okay. which I didn't realize. So I, I don't know if we have to start the thinking of them as a, a U Utah, Hawaii, and Wisconsin as the street, three states that might never do this. I don't know. Yeah, got Green Bay Packers, Milwaukee Bucks. I, I, that, it's, that's a great, I mean, I've been to Milwaukee dozens of times. That's a great sports state. I mean, mm -hmm. the fans are into it. The, the games are lively. I mean, uh, yeah, the Brewers too. I've been to Miller Park, right. not my favorite park, but but the fans are great. And uh, yeah, I don't, I'm surprised at that one. All right. Well, we'll see if perhaps something will, will be will be introduced at some point there. <laughs> um, for our next story, smoke them if you got them, John, uh, or maybe don't. It depends where you are. Uh, there have been longstanding debates in numerous states about whether smoking should be allowed in casinos. And during the masks required phase of COVID. Both of our home states, Pennsylvania and New Jersey, ban smoking in casinos. But now that the masks are off, the cigarettes are back. On Monday, Pennsylvania lifted its smoking ban in casinos, returning to the rule of smoking being allowed on up to 50% of the casino floor. 
And in New Jersey, Governor Murphy was slower to act, but he did acknowledge at a press conference Wednesday that with the state's smoking ban due to sunset this coming Sunday, July 4th, he will not interfere with it. So smoking is coming back to the Atlantic City casinos on Sunday, although the New Jersey law is that only 25% of the gaming floor can permit smoking. Uh, John, this is a contentious issue. Uh, some expected or hoped that post-COVID smoking in casinos would never come back. Uh, others insist it's vital for business to draw in customers who want to smoke. So what do you make of the decisions in Pennsylvania and New Jersey? And if smoking bans aren't happening now following the temporary ban due to COVID, can we assume smoke-free casinos are not going to become a reality anytime soon? Yeah, I mean, my follow-up story on this issue likely is posted on njonlinegambling.com by now, I think, mm-hmm. by the time Fantastic. people yep. hear this. Okay, but uh, spoiler alert for those of you who read it, I'm going to uh, go into some of that. Uh, now, if I'm just focused on what is likely to happen in New Jersey, which you know, very fairly is mainly what readers want me to know, what, what's going to happen? Uh, for more than a decade, I've gone by the very simple rule. Is State Senate President Stephen Sweeney a co-sponsor of the bill? Easy flowchart, right? Yes, the bill passes, although it's not 100% locked to be signed by the governor, but uh, it's going to pass. No, then the bill never even gets a committee hearing. That's just how it works in New Jersey, period, end stop. Now, what do I think should happen? Well, you know, keep in mind, that, as you mentioned, 50% of, of Pennsylvania casino floor must be smoke-free. Atlantic City mandates 75% smoke-free. Uh, and casinos have spent millions on improving HVAC systems to give yeah. COVID-phobic people, you know, okay, that's all of us, I assume, right? Who isn't COVID-phobic? Uh, <laughs> less fear about entering a casino in this era. Um, that has to help with smoke as well. Although it's easy for me to say I'm not a pregnant woman who works the casino floor full-time, right? So now, personally, I never notice things like smoke unless it's really oppressive, but I also have people close to me who I swear have bloodhound in their lineage. They can sense smoke from a block away. So, uh, you know, the experience varies for different people. Uh, so it's hard to say that. I, I would conclude that in an ideal world, there are smoking and non-smoking casinos. And the smokers and the dealers who love them can be in one place and the opposite, they land in the other place. Yeah, that, that would be something that makes sense on a lot of levels if, it, if everybody succeeds from a bit from a business perspective doing it that way but uh, i think there are issues with that just just on a personal level i don't totally get in 2021 why smoking cigarettes is still such a big thing we've we you know we're several generations into the era of everyone knowing cigarettes are bad for you and i feel like the notion of smoking cigarettes making you quote unquote cool is long gone so it just seems odd to me that any kid in the last 30 years or so would even try a cigarette. Uh, There are better ways to rebel nowadays. Uh, That said, cigarette smoking is still a thing, whether I get it or not. And it and drinking go hand in hand with gambling for a lot of people. Um, And even though this was a decade ago, the Revel example does suggest the customers you lose by banning smoking, that's a costly number. Uh, But you brought up a key thing that's changed is that you know, uh, the ventilation systems are good and only got better during COVID, plus the ceilings in the casinos are way up high. I feel like if you walk through a casino, as long as you aren't like walking right through a crowd of smokers, I find that it doesn't stink that bad. You know, if, you, if you're in like a small enclosed space with a sm- smoker, that I can find intolerable. Um, but Casinos, it doesn't bother me much. As long as there are large areas of the casino that are non-smoking, I, as a non-smoker, won't complain too loudly. But I do feel bad for the casino employees, particularly the pregnant ones that you mentioned, uh, who, who can't necessarily choose where in the casino they're situated. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I know some young people who do smoke and, you know, the very fact that it's seen as something that people definitely should not do is exactly the appeal still. You know, it's like it, the, the more known about the dangers of it, the more rebellious it feels, I think, to do it anyway. Because first of all, you're young and you think you're invincible and you kind of are in some ways. Uh, so I get that. But uh, I, yeah, I just wish, you know, the, the rebel problem to me, and I, I was there for its opening in 2012 and for its closing in 2014. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, it's one thing to have a, a smoke-free casino, the first one in Atlantic City. They didn't market it that way, right? So nobody knew, including me, mm. that this was happening. So the, the typical gamblers show up and they're all psyched and they find out, wait a minute, I can't smoke here. Well, the hell with this, I'm going elsewhere. They didn't market to people who want to go to a casino that's smoke-free. And there's plenty of gamblers that feel that way. I don't know what would happen if there was a really big marketing campaign. I'm talking TV ads, radio ads, New York market, Philadelphia market, really pushing like, listen, you know, if you smoke, that's great. You know, you go somewhere else here. We want you, the gambler who doesn't smoke to come here. I, I'm not convinced that would fail. I mean, easy for me. I'm not risking hundreds of millions of dollars, but right. I, I still think that it's a possibility, especially nowadays. Like you said, I think it's under like 14% of people smoke or something. It's a, it's a pretty small number now. And again, gamblers obviously are going to be more than 14%. But uh, I I wish some casino would would roll the dice, so to speak, right. and take a shot and say, that's right, we're smoke-free. We're bragging about it. We're telling you, hey, you know, maybe this will help you. You you don't want to smoke anymore, but you do it when you gamble. But if you come here, you can't do it. Maybe that's good for them. But more importantly, that group, I think, that, that likes to gamble, does not like smoke, this is their casino. They're going to be completely loyal to that one. I, I I'd like to think it can work. That's a good insight about it not being marketed that way. I didn't I didn't realize that that they failed to really let people know. Because um, I mean I'm I'm thinking of uh, the the downtown Vegas casino that and actually then there were two casinos that came back from COVID with the adults only, no families. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's one of those things where yes, you're cutting out a certain sliver of your potential audience, but when the, you're in an area with tons of casino options, and Atlantic City with nine is I think close enough for one to try it um that that yeah you can have success by you know cutting out whatever it is 14 percent of people are are not interested in going to your casino but the other 86 percent, it just got that much more appealing you're right it'd be interesting to see somebody in atlantic city try it um and and whether it can succeed or some or somebody in vegas um you know to do a full smoke-free casino with how many casinos there are out there uh, if the adults only thing certainly seem to have some strong appeal so maybe the no smoking casino could have strong appeal too well, I mean, look at Southwest Airlines. They really, you know, kind of were rebellious. They they decided that customer service and not having an incredible amount of annoying uh, and unexpected fees thrown at a person hmm. might actually get them some customers. And they're doing pretty well. I mean, it's it's kind of strange in the airline industry to have a good customer service, but they seem to do it. And I've flown on them often enough. Listen, it's not the greatest experience you've ever had, but uh, uh, if you're trying to, uh, you know, save a buck and, and not be just battered by these annoying fees, um, they do the job pretty quickly. Right? Yeah, pretty well. they're they're the one without the assigned seating, right? Uh, that's yeah, that's yeah, Southwest. Yeah. Yes, that's that's the yeah. one drawback is that you're oh, like yeah. in a in a race to get there early and line up and all that stuff, uh, which adds yes. a little to it. But uh, if you're saving money, yep, might be worth it.
Uh, all right. Uh, we've gotten a little bit off track. Let's uh, get back to gambling. Our, our third story this week is something a little bit different. Um, we've gotten used to mobile sports books with casino branding like BetMGM and Caesars or with DFS branding, DraftKings, FanDuel. Now, starting in Colorado, there will be a Sports Illustrated branded sports book powered by 888. It's expected to launch sometime later this year. This isn't a first of its kind thing, as Barstool is a media entity that has a branded sports book. Still, it's interesting in that SI was synonymous with sports media for many decades, but has faded from prominence. And I wonder if the SI brand means much to people, say, age 30 and under. So what do you think, John? Is a Sports Illustrated sports book a good business strategy in 2021? And will bigger brands follow? Namely, do you see ESPN having its own sports book before long? Oh, I, I do see ESPN having its own sports book soon enough. And mm-hmm. I think it would do quite well in winning over fans of their brand who don't gamble now and don't play fantasy sports. And believe it or not, there are such people out there. That's a decent <laughs> niche uh, there. And I think they, they would do great. I mean, they have a lot of big fans of theirs. I mean, uh, us cynics in the media and stuff can mock ESPN all we want, but uh, they have a huge uh, following base. Mm-hmm. And I think they would, they trust the brand and they don't, again, they're fan dual draft Kings. That's not something they're into they're, They don't go to casinos necessarily. They love sports. And if ESPN eases them in and says, Hey, you know, it's easy to bet, you know, it's not, not a big deal. I think they do great. Now sports illustrated, uh, you know, it's not the only traditional media name out there that basically exists now on a zombie level. And I will mention two others I'm thinking of because, you know, lawyers and everything. But uh, <laughs> now I've always believed that if I'll, Notre I'll Dame find out ever, off air which two you're thinking. Yeah, you go. Exactly. Uh, I always believe that if Notre Dame ever went through a dry spell in football, this is I'm thinking back decades now, mm-hmm. the whole house of cards could collapse because it's a religious institution in northern Indiana and a 14 year old hot prospect who hasn't seen Notre Dame in a big bowl in, say, five years is liable to write them off completely if they don't get there in a subsequent year or two. You know, the Fighting Irish, uh, don't get my Irish up in that annoying <laughs> nickname, but, you know, they've held the line, but not by a lot. So they're they're teetering. But I th- think once the, the mystique uh, rubs off, look, Miami is Miami. I mean, you know, the U is not what it used to be. I've been to Miami plenty of times. I was there South Beach many times in my youth. That is not, not getting, that's not tired. The the new 17-year-old that's saying, yeah, you know, I don't know about this crowd. It's okay, I guess. Compared to Northern Indiana, no offense. Uh, yeah, so, uh, so it, Sports Illustrated, my point is it's in the same boat potentially uh, as Notre Dame. And well, I don't see a lot of five-star recruits coming aboard anymore there. So that would have been my dream gig in the 1980s. And I have a rejection form letter somewhere around here to prove it. <laughs> uh, but, but I do think there's room for a sports book with a name cachet that appeals to everyone from like youngish baby boomers to relatively elderly millennials. Uh, maybe they can have exclusive betting on who will be in the cover of the next swimsuit issue. Wait, do they even still have a swimsuit issue? Uh, that's a great question. I honestly don't even know the answer. Um, <laughs> that's that's scary that we neither one of us know. Right. Uh, and I think it says more about them than us, but maybe it says something about us too. I yeah, maybe a little of both. A little from column A, a little from column B. Uh, I will say about Notre Dame that as long as the movie Rudy remains in heavy rotation on cable, I guess Notre Dame won't totally fade from uh, prominence. But um, yeah, you know, I feel like it's been at least a decade since I saw anyone refer to SI as a serious authority, as an example of prestige journalism. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I saw a print edition of it anywhere. Um, not to take away from some of the fine writers they still have, but 
SI did not adapt to the digital age as quickly and effectively as ESPN did, and certainly didn't throw anywhere near as much money at their web presence. Um, the name just doesn't mean that much anymore. I don't see an SI branded book doing even as well as a Barstool branded book. And even the Barstool branded books have had sort of middle of the road results so far. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, but I am totally with you on ESPN. It's coming 100% guarantee. I don't know when, but there will be an ESPN sports book eventually. And Stephen A. Smith will be screaming at us in commercials about <laughs> who and what to bet on. And we will all hate it and regret the Supreme court ever ruling on PASPA once, uh, once we get to that phase. Yeah, I, I don't know if I ever mentioned it, but uh, I knew Stephen A. before he was Stephen A. 30 <laughs> yeah. years ago. He was covering the uh, 76ers for one of the Philadelphia papers, and uh, yeah. he was not a loud guy. He was, he was just a regular <laughs> guy. I, I liked him well enough, and I don't know, I think uh, agent, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and here we go. Hey, he's making millions of dollars. So good, he, good for he him. Is. Yeah. Well, I, you know, having grown up in uh, Philadelphia, I did uh, see his, I, I knew his byline before and saw him on yeah. the local stations uh, occasionally before he went uh, national. It was, it was the inquirer that he wrote for. And um, I, my theory on Stephen A is uh, everyone go on YouTube and look up uh, Saturday night live skits that Chris Rock did a character, Nat X, uh, look it up and tell me that Stephen A. Smith didn't watch that and just completely steal the character and build a one-man media empire out of it. Uh, but I find him annoying as hell and utterly unwatchable, and I change the channel the second I see he's on. But I give him all the credit in the world for uh, somehow having success with what he does. He's having enormous success and becomes the face of ESPN, and I dread the potential commercials for sports books with Stephen A. Uh, featured in them. Yeah, but it's it's free enterprise, right? I yeah, yeah. we don't get it, but um, it works. And if it didn't work, he wouldn't be. He he's earning the money that he gets. Let's put it that way. He's yeah. uh, he's getting eyeballs. He's getting uh, viewers. He's getting everything. And so, ESPN makes a ton of money off him. He deserves a big chunk of that slice. So, like I said, it's free enterprise. Yep. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Our guest this week is a man who appeared on Gamble On for the first time in February of last year. And at the end of the interview, we told him we hoped the gap between his first and second Gamble On appearances would be shorter than the gap between his tenures in the New Jersey State Assembly. That gap was 36 years. So indeed, we've beaten it. Uh, he's an Essex County Democrat who served in the Assembly from 1968 to 72, took a little time off to make a living as an Atlantic City casino executive, and returned to the Assembly in 2008. He has been a leading voice on a number of fronts in Trenton ever since, including on all bills gambling related, it seems. Assemblyman Ralph Caputo, welcome back to Gamble On. Thank you very much. And it, it just goes to show you can't get away from your past. How old <laughs> the gaming committee and chairman? I have no idea. <laughs> trying to run away from it. And here I am back in the right. <laughs> it feels very Michael Corleone. I try to get out. They keep pulling yeah, me back in. Yeah. <laughs> Similar, you know. <laughs> so before we get into current events in New Jersey gambling, uh, let's start the interview with some storytelling about Mickey Mantle. Uh, even those 
Gamble On listeners or hosts, uh, too young to remember Mantle as a baseball player or his tenure as a greeter at an Atlantic City casino, are probably familiar with the fact that he was banned from baseball due to the latter job before being reinstated two years later. Uh, well, uh, Assemblyman Caputo is more familiar than just about anybody with the Mantle saga. So, Mr. Caputo, I, I know you told John off air that this could be its own entire podcast, uh, but trying for the abridged version in maybe three minutes or so, what is your connection to the mantle controversy in Atlantic City? Well, we worked together in Atlantic City. We were both at the Claridge Hotel and Casino back in the early 80s. I think uh, Mickey was there before me. I think I was around 83. I answered he might have been there a little earlier. And Willie Mays was across the street at Bally. So the both of them served as casino uh, marketing tools, actually. They went out. They were big draws. Mickey was a huge draw and got even more intense as time went on. Uh, my connection with him was was crazy because he comes to me one day and he says, listen, Ralph, you know, uh, uh, I want to get out of here. I really don't want to do this anymore. I said, well, I'm not your boss. I said, you're going to have to talk to uh, the president of the hotel. I said, he said, fine. He said, I owe them time, but uh, they're not, I don't want to rehook up. Uh, I want too much money from them anyway. They'll refuse it. So he goes up and asks for a million dollars. And of course, they said, Mickey, we can't afford to pay you a million dollars as well. I don't want to be here anymore. So he had like, I don't know, 15 or 20 dates that he owed them over the next year or so, over a year, maybe about a year. So he goes and tells them, he says, listen, computer will take those dates. And <laughs> what a nightmare that was. So uh, they called me upstairs. They said, you, did you tell Mickey that? I said, listen, he doesn't want to be here. Why would you want to keep a man on a job that doesn't want, but he's honorable. He wants to he wants to complete his obligation. So if I can help, I didn't realize what I was getting into. If I can help, I will. I say he's a great guy. He's an icon. We grew up knowing Mickey Mantle. The world knows Mickey Mantle. And uh, he's a big asset to the company. So I'll do whatever I can. Fine. You got him in your hands for the next six to nine months. Well, that was a trip into, uh, you know, unbelievable. It was crazy. But he was a great golfer. And I used to take him to all these golf clubs the country clubs up in North Jersey. Everybody got to know him. And uh, when we did big events uh, where crowds of people came, it started to get really crazy. Because Joe DiMaggio and him were the only two really icons left alive. So if you went to a crowd, let's say hypothetically, the first crowd would be 300. And went to another event, it would be 1,000. And then it would get into the thousands. I mean, and he was bewildered by it. He said, I can't understand it. I said, well, they're not here for me, Mickey. They don't know me. <laughs> they're here for you, you know? And uh, he, he uh, handled it well. I mean, he had, you know, as you know, he had some demons that he constantly lived with on a daily basis. And he was tough to manage, but a very good guy. And uh, I have a lot of good memories with him. And we made a lot of friends in, in North Jersey, which, which I'm from. And uh, people got to, in fact, we invited him to some very personal things that uh, people had fundraisers for hemophiliacs or whatever. He was so willing to go along with it because he had a, he had sickness in his own family, himself, his son and whatever. And uh, he was very, very uh, humane about all of this and, and wanted to help. Uh, he was a great golfer, even with his bad legs. I mean, he could hit that ball. Anybody want to gamble and think they could beat him, they lost every time. <laughs> Other than that, you know, I was with him the last day he was on the payroll with the uh, with the casino. And I took him to a restaurant up in Randolph, New Jersey. It was raining like crazy. 
he jumped out of the car, you know, it was, it was a little, little nuts, but he got in and he says to me, listen, Ralph, I, I appreciate what you've done. He gave me his card. He said, I'm going to open this restaurant in New York called Mantles. He said, I said, really? I said, I'm going to be in that business and, uh, and probably do some commercials, which he really didn't do. He didn't do many commercials prior to that. He did a couple, one for Pepsi or but Gillette or something like that. But he could have made hundreds and hundreds of thousands. For some reason, he wasn't interested. So uh, that was the last time I saw him. And he said, you can get in touch with me, call Texas. My son will answer the phone. Well, he didn't even have an agent. Mickey Mantle didn't have an agent. <laughs> You believe this. I mean, didn't have an agent. He, it was crazy. I just tell him he didn't make much money. His, his pension was not, nothing huge. I think his highest salary was 100000 which is ridiculous. No bitterness at all about it. Never beefed or whined about that. He was really not a materialistic guy. Uh, he loved people and he loved to uh, party, loved to be out there. You know, he had a drinking problem. We understand that. But other than that, you know, I have nothing but fond memories of him. And uh, I could, you know, I, after a while, it was just like an equal. We would just talk to each other, you know, uh, like I would talk to anybody else. I mean, that's, I knew it was Mickey Mantle. One last story about him. Yeah. He, we had a dedicated field in, in Old Bridge, New Jersey. He's, I don't want to do it, blah, blah, blah. You know, he always complained. I said, listen, this guy's a huge customer for the casino. He's going to donate a, a field in his mother's name. Why don't we do it? We'll get Sparky Lyle. The three of us will go, all right, get a convertible. Well, I forget how we get together, but we ride into Old Bridge. Now, this is the, you got to picture this. When I tell you, and I'm not exaggerating, that'd be 100,000 people there, three or four deep, grandsons, fathers, grandfathers lined up along this road going into Old Bridge. And he said, what is this? I said, that's you. This, he was coming into his own then in terms of being hugely popular. And uh, we got to the field, he did it. He didn't even complain. He even wanted to go to the luncheon and he signed autographs. And uh, it was a great day. I mean, it was really a great day. And I think that changed him because he saw, he saw really the admiration and love people had for him. And I, 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 I knew he wanted to go on after that, but that, that's, that's my Mickey Mantle story. It was, uh, it, was a, it was a trip. I didn't even, he got angry at me because I never asked him for an autograph. He was like, <laughs> everybody's driving you nuts. He said, take, he, we had a picture together and he signed it and I have it. But he said, I can't understand you. Why, you know, these balls are going to be worth tons of money. I think I got one for my son. And, uh, and that, was, that was it. But I never abused that privilege of being uh, around him because everybody wanted his signature. You know, that was crazy. Right. So that's about it. Unless you want to ask me other questions about it. No, we should probably move on, but the, those are great stories. And, and whenever the next time we have you on the podcast, I think the, the road we want, we'll want to go down is specifically Mickey Mantle gambling on the golf course stories. Those sound like fun to save for the next time. There's, there's lots of them. There's <laughs> okay. lots of stories, but anyway, I want to keep it clean. I don't want to get sued. I'll tell you that uh, uh, in the early 1990s, I was covering the New York Rangers hockey team and uh, I did a between periods radio uh, interview, which was a big thrill for me anyway. And then at the end, they told me I won uh, uh, dinner for two at Mickey Mantle's restaurant that you're talking about. <laughs> and that was even a bigger deal because, uh, you know, I went there a number of times and uh, it was a little bit of a tourist trap, but still the name itself was, was such a big deal. But uh, oh, I, the name. 
I just want to switch to another uh, topic that's dear to your heart, and that's uh, esports. You know, uh, it's sort of well known, I guess, that in New Jersey there have been uh, esports tournaments that you can gamble on legally through the Division of Gaming Enforcement. But a bill just passed, and I guess the governor is about to sign into law about esports. So what what's the difference between already being able to bet on it in New Jersey and what's going to happen now? And what are your overall hopes for the esports industry and New Jersey? Well, you you know, just to put it bluntly, it's the it's the next big thing. It's, it's going to be huge. I mean, the millennials, millenniums are betting on this all over the world. Okay. This, they're bringing billions of dollars worth of economic activity to this, to this uh, event. Uh, New Jersey had a pilot. Uh, they really didn't have a lot of DG did a temporary thing on a, on a tournament. Well, now it's going to be codified. You know, we've been working on this bill, this silly bill that been laying around, you know, what goes on, John it took about a year or more to get this approved. I think what happened, I think Atlantic City elected officials uh, in, this, in, in the legislature thought it was a threat. And once they understood that this is a positive thing for Atlantic City, because they have the infrastructure to handle these type of events. They can bring thousands of people into the city for these events, which they can be, you know, the state can benefit because they'll be taking bets on it. And But the economic activity in terms of hotel rooms, restaurants, all of the tax revenue that you receive just from the from the shot in the arm from this thing, this is a big big deal. Uh, I mean, if you if you lie, I didn't know much about it to tell you the truth. But once I started to see how these young people are so involved in this, now of course we're not going to let a, anybody under eighteen years old participate, and the DG is going to regulate this and to make sure that no tournament is going to be approved unless they pass the mustard with the. Uh, with the Reebok and a, and a division of gaming. So it's a, it's a new thing. We're gonna be way ahead of the curve here. Uh, I think it's gonna be a big jolt to the arm. And everybody understands that the casino industry has been under a tremendous amount of pressure over the years. And this could be one additional thing uh, that we didn't have that's happening anyway. It's always that excuse, just like marijuana, right. smoking anyway, right? Which I didn't vote for any of that stuff. But, but the point is, uh, it's occurring. The base is there. Uh, now that we have pinpointed this as an activity that's legitimate in New Jersey, I think the governor will sign it. We work with the attorney general on this. Many sessions with Steve Finkel from the attorney general's office. So I don't see any problem. I think the governor will sign it. They're going to be a subject to the same tax rate uh, that any other uh, gaming activity has in the state of New Jersey. If it's online and they bet it online, it's going to be up to 14%. If they do it at a tournament and they're in a brick and mortar place, it'll be more like uh, close to 10%, you know, something, something around that. But I don't know how much revenue they're going to get. I think because it's only limited to a $500 maximum bet, I believe. But the fact is the, the activity that it's going to bring to the city and to the state of New Jersey, they could go to the Proof Center. They can go to the PAC. They can go to venues up here too. But Atlantic City is really tailor-made for this stuff. Tailor-made. Maybe and I understand that uh, this clarifies that uh, the Nathan's hot dog eating contest coming up, uh, that'll be uh, wagered on again in New Jersey. Probably. You know, I mean, they do anything here. They bet on the, uh, they bet on the uh, Academy Awards. I mean, but who knows? So this, is, this I think, is uh, more genuine, more authentic to uh, what's, what's relevant at this point. So I, that's, that's why I pushed it. And I'm glad Senator Beach moved it in the Senate. And hopefully the governor will sign it soon. 
So, so you, you said we don't know uh, quite how much uh, revenue that will produce. One thing that we know is producing major revenue is, is online casino. Um, and online casino gaming first came to New Jersey and Delaware uh, in 2013 over right. objections by some in the Atlantic City casino industry. Uh, I'm curious, did, did you share those concerns at the time? And, and... Yeah, I did. Originally, ahead, I yeah. did not favor it uh, for a number of reasons. One, uh, I don't believe it, even now it passes the constitutional requirement. I mean, you change, according to the constitution, you have to have a, a voter approval for a change in gaming, okay? This was a major change uh, going on the internet, et cetera. But what happened, Senator Lesniak, uh, very, very crafty, very smart. He brought in constitutional lawyers to testify and people bought it, you know? That was one reason. And the other, re the other reason I was against it originally was uh, the fact of the licensing. You know, we're talking about people from all over the world, companies from all over the, the Isle of Man and everywhere else, uh, plugging into the state of New Jersey. And you know, when the state needs money, they'll, they'll look the other way, right? You know, that's what happened. So uh, I had been through the experience and other people uh, with me, a very stringent licensing requirements to work in the casino industry. And I was concerned about that. And I did not like the response I, God, from some of the people that were pushing internet gaming. I, I said, you were in the state of New Jersey and here we're going to have to comply whatever those rules are. That was a problem. And uh, Christie had his reasons also. At first he was against it. And it, I think it was the constitutional question and maybe something else. I can't remember, but I know he, he vetoed it. And then for some reason, it came back to us with the uh, convincing uh, arm of Senator Lesniak who who's bringing it and convincing people to do things that it was done. Now, it turned out to be a big asset for the state because the revenue was huge. Uh, in the beginning, it was very disappointing. Christie overestimated uh, the revenue projections, but as John and I talked about, it's up there. And the other reason why I was concerned, I thought that jobs would be at stake because as you saw, Casinos closed in Atlantic City, so people were not going. They're not going to go there if they can bet on the internet. You're going to lose waiters, bartenders, dealers, people that work in restaurants, hotel, help bellhops, uh, gaming people, marketing people. So all these casinos were under a threat because of the competition from other de destinations. And I thought we'd have less visitors uh, to Atlantic City with the internet gaming. That was another reason why I was uh, I was worrying about the health of the existing casinos. All right. The reason why I'm doing well now, we have less casinos, number one, than we did. And two, the pandemic. People are home betting on, the, on their internet. Uh, they're out of work, or if they're not out of work, they're betting in between their Zoom calls or whatever. <laughs> and uh, this is part of the devastation of the uh, COVID uh, pandemic we've been through. So I don't know if this is permanent. I don't know. I can't, I can't on the crystal ball, but I do know it has increased because of that. People being at home and betting on online, so that that's part of the reason why the I, the jury's still out of how it has kept the lights on in Atlantic City, mm -hmm. sports betting and online gaming. But uh, you know they're up against it there. I don't care what they say about the their profitability when they're measuring against years that they didn't do well at all. It's just it's uh, some are going to do very well. 
But the, so the concerns you had about online casino cannibalizing the the revenue for yeah. in-person casinos have you have you changed your tune on that now having seen it for a while or you think it's still sort of a temporary pandemic thing and and they are still cutting into we're gonna see we're gonna see you know every uh, the casino business is a very very immediate business it's a month-to-month situation uh i could be, i was in it for over 20 years what was yesterday doesn't mean it's going to happen today conditions change if people start to come out more you'll have more visitors hopefully the casinos will be healthier and internet gaming may not be as healthy i don't know we're, we're gonna have to see that i don't, I, I i i'm not sure so it's a shame it's just a funny but it's a tough business it really is competition is tough and now they're competing with each other because you have online stuff you got why would i go to walk into atlantic city to do a sports bet if i could do it online why would I drive down there for what read? That's my point. Now, it could get better if the economy gets better and people get back to work. And but people don't want to go back to work now. So where's this disposable income going to come from? I don't know what the future is. Maybe we'll end up with four or five casinos in Atlantic City rather than nine. Yeah, Assemblyman, I want to ask you about uh, one other thing. You've gotten so many bills passed over the years on uh, gambling and gambling expansion and other issues. And uh, I guess there's still more to do because I know there's one uh, topic also dear to your heart, which is uh, having like a gambling diversion court. Uh, I think people are familiar with the idea that in many cases, uh, some first time nonviolent offenders can can who have drug or alcohol problems can get kind of a, a little bit better treatment than pure punishment. And it sounds like you're, you're trying to uh, have that uh, expanded to people with gambling issues too. Can you talk about that bill and where it might happen and when it might happen on that? We have a bill in, uh, it was late in the session, uh, myself, Dan Benson and uh, Anthony Varelli from Mercer County to create a gambling treatment diversion court program like they have in Las Vegas, okay? Uh, that's how I discovered it. I read about it. I didn't know that it even existed. And we started to talk about it and I, I, we sponsored a bill. We've changed the bill somewhat because of the negotiations with Benson. He's very, very uh, in tune with this and we're working uh, in, in, together on it. But it makes sense. You know, people uh, that have gambling addictions and now you're going to see more of it because of the pan- uh, pandemic. And if they commit minor crimes, there should be something established in three, three pilot courts in the state, North, Middle, and South, where instead of incarcerating someone, if the crime is not murder or violent crime or you know, some, some high uh, type of uh, criminal activity, that they could go into a treatment. And if they follow the treatment and uh, they stay with the program, then uh, the, uh, the, the sentencing would be set aside. So, it's something we're going to get into. We're listening to some people that have done this in other states. Uh, they established it out in Nevada. And uh, we're going to try to do something here. And we're, hopefully we're going to get something either in lame duck, if not. And you know, John, how long these things take. You know, we could talk about them. I mean, look at esports. Was that a big, no? was, it, was that a, a complicated thing? How long did it take? Over a year, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this, this is uh, going to meet with some resistance, I'm sure. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna concentrate on it and see if we can get it done. Absolutely, I think it's worthwhile. We all know gamblers. We all know they're not all criminals. We know that they've done some stupid things, and uh, we don't want to. Incarceration is not the answer. 
All right, good uh, good range of topics we covered there. Uh, we thank you for your time, uh, Assemblyman Caputo, and uh, we will definitely uh, have to have you back on to get some more of those Mickey Mantle stories, especially the, oh, the golf gambling ones. The mixer, the mixer. <laughs> I'll bring my picture and show it to you next time. Okay, we look with forward to that. With his signature, imagine. <laughs> Me with Mickey Mantle, a kid from North New Jersey. All right. <laughs> not bad, not bad. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We had some wins and some losses last week, but the wins outnumbered the losses, and we are back to being down by mere triple digits instead of needing a comma to express how big a hole we're in. Uh, John, you split your two Thursday baseball bets, losing $50 on the cards, but winning $45 on the Nats. Your only other bet was a minor loss of 20 bucks on Paul Casey to win the Travelers Championship. That long shot didn't pan out. I had two NBA futures that haven't come in yet. Uh, Hawks in seven, which holds promise, and Phoenix to win the title, which went from plus 110 when I bet it to about minus 200 now that they're in the finals and probably facing an inferior opponent with injury issues. So we wait on those. Uh, But my three boxing bets are complete, and two of the three were winners. I had $50 on Lomachenko by decision. He scored a knockout, so that's a loss. But I had Javante Davis, Mario Barrios to go over eight and a half rounds, and it did, winning us $80. And I had a six-to-one payout on Davis by KO between rounds 10 and 12, and he ended it in the 11th, winning us $90 on a $15 bet. So all in all, for the week, we won $95.00. And we are now down by $939. We also have $1,387 on Holden Futures bets. So that leaves us with $7,674 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. And I'm a little hesitant to pick a side in tonight's Bucks-Hawks game five. So I'll pick a player prop. We figure Giannis is not going to play. That means bigger stats for other Bucks players. But I think they inflated Chris Middleton's points line a bit too much. The line is 27 and a half points, a number he's exceeded in only three of 15 playoff games so far. Hmm. He does have the occasional huge game. So if he beats this number, he might beat it by a lot. He might go off for 40 or something. That's fine. I think about seven or eight times out of 10, even with Giannis out, Uh, And this figures not to be a high scoring game. I think he comes in under this number about 70 to 80% of the time. The under does have minus 117 juice, but I think it's worth paying. Let's bet 117 to win a hundred under 27 and a half points for Middleton tonight. All right. Well, I got to say full disclosure. uh, The reason I only had a Paul Casey to win bet last week uh, as an afternoon player is I forgot to check the odds on the golf last Wednesday night. By the time I woke up, the event was underway and I didn't see top 20 odds anymore. But for sure, I would have taken Bubba Watson. Now, Bubba was leading the event by two strokes with five holes to play. This is to win, okay? Mm. And it looked like I was about to retake the lead in that season-long golf pool that I keep swearing I will mention again. (laughs) uh, All right, so he bogeys the 14th hole. Whatever, no problem. Bogey on 15. Okay, let's regroup. Bogey on 16. My hands are getting a little clammy, I got to say. Double bogey on 17 with a shankopotamus approach shot into the water. And I think I just threw up in my mouth. I couldn't watch the 18th hall, but that was another bogey. And Bumbling Bubba scored a seven-way tie for 19th. Talk Ooh. about getting chopped to pieces on yeah. top 20. Um, hey, DraftKings, give those poor bastards their money back, okay? That's who deserves it. 
But had I remembered to play BetMGM, which I just noticed is not chop up the uh, X place bets, I'd have been okay, right? He's top mm. 20. Right. Um, so with that in mind, I'm taking Jason Kokrak at the dreaded Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit this week. Uh, classic's the right word, but um, at uh, plus 125 for an unchoppable top 20 on BetMGM. But I go choppable top 20 on DraftKings with Webb Simpson at plus 125 because if he's not rusty, I think he falls all the way inside the top 20 and the line is better here than it would be with the the unchopped part. And finally, I don't think I've ever taken a favorite before and Bryson DeChambeau is only plus 750, but I'll try 20 units anyway on, on Bryson because he made mincemeat of this course uh, winning last year and now he has a full year of being what I call bison. And what, what were the bet amounts on Kokrak and Simpson for those top 20s? Uh, yeah, 50, 50 on 50 each. each. Okay, got it. Uh, all right. Uh, my second bet is, uh, like my first bet, a player prop, but it's on the NFL. It's a season-long futures bet. Uh, shout out to our one-time guest, Adam Levitan, for bringing this one to my attention. T.Y. Hilton's receptions prop is strangely high. He'll turn 32 this season. He's clearly in decline. Still a good receiver, but nowhere close to a superstar receiver anymore. Last year, he played 15 games, had 56 catches. The previous year, battling injuries, he played 10 games, 45 catches. The year before that, much better. 14 games, 76 catches. And the year before that, 16 games, just 57 catches. Those are the last four seasons, averages of 13.75 games and 58.5 catches, and mostly trending downward. His line this year is 64 and a half receptions. Now I realize there are 17 games this season. However, his new quarterback, Carson Wentz, is a major question mark. Hilton is getting older and slowing down. He's had a series of leg injuries the last few years, a calf tear, some quad strains, with all NFL players, the smart money is on them missing a couple of games. Uh, I actually found a site that I don't know what their math is based on, but they crunch a bunch of numbers and they predict 2.9 games missed for Hilton um, as an average. Uh, so that would mean an expectation that he plays 14 games. Even if he plays 17 games, I feel like 64 and a half catches is on the high end. Now, my unfortunate Gronk bet last year aside... Uh, oh. You will you will come out ahead in the long run betting NFL season long player prop unders. Um, the bad news with this one is that people are onto this one and there's minus 165 juice now on the under. That's OK. I still think there's value. Let's risk 165 to win 100. T.Y. Hilton under 64 and a half catches. And six months from now, we'll find out how we did. exactly that. That money's sitting in escrow for a little while. Yeah, or I don't know. That might be a good uh, 180 day uh, leeway there where we don't bet anything more than that. You know, we're not, we're not getting any younger after all. But, um, <laughs> well, meanwhile, just because I can in New Jersey, let's go 100 on Joey Chestnut at minus 118 to eat 75 <laughs> or more hot dogs in the Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest on July 4th. Uh, that happens to be a max bet allowed here in New Jersey. And it's the only one listed by DraftKings. There's no under, there's no you know top woman. There's no any of this. Uh, but pro tip, uh, DraftKings is offering an odds boost here to plus 125, though I'm not sure if we can do that in our pick segment, right? Yeah, right. We, we tend to, to consider the odds boost cheating okay. for, uh, for bankroll purposes, but still. Uh, okay, but so, fine, I want to add that if he gets to like 71 and a half hot dogs and mm-hmm. there is – there's an actual technical term in the contest, no kidding, called reversal of fortune. And if you don't know what that means, you could probably figure it out pretty quickly. Um, if that happens at 71 and a half dogs and he's disqualified, I, I'm looking for a refund. No, no more than a <laughs> refund. I'm looking to get paid out is what I'm looking for. Right. right. 
Absolutely. I'll be, I'll be <laughs> mewling about it next week on the podcast if I don't get paid out when he uh, reverses fortune after 71 and a half. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know about uh, incorporating bad beat refunds into the bankroll either. But uh, well, just uh, let's just have some confidence in the bet that this one's going to win. He's going to go over 75 dogs or actually what's it? it just has to get to 75. Right. Is that the best yes. over 74 and a half dogs? Yeah, uh, OK, uh, d- despite the fact that uh, I now have an emotional investment and a sweat for our bankroll, <laughs> I will not be watching. Yeah, yeah, I can't do it. As I've said it before, you have to eat the hot dog with the bun. Like, why isn't there like a rogue outlet that does that instead? I would I would watch that one, even if it's not at Nathan's and it's not even Nathan's hot dog. Right. I would watch that. I want to see how many hot dogs people can actually eat, yeah. you know, taking a bun and sticking it in water and and, uh, you know, inhaling it without even chewing it uh, and then having a dog without it. It's just that's not that's not. But you know what? If, if I got a shot to win here, I'm going to go for it. It's the non-smoking casinos of the hot dog contest and <laughs> exactly. an alternative for the audience that wants something. I'm always different. looking for options. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Assemblyman Ralph Caputo. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, you know, Eric, we both enjoyed Assemblyman Caputo's stories about being Mickey Mantle's Atlantic City casino handler, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, I'm going to close with a little more detail on that. You know, Mickey's twin brothers both were pit bosses in Las Vegas, and his mother was so fond of slot machines that, according to a 1983 Washington Post article, the family brought, bought her a glove to protect her slot's hand. That's that's diehard, big time. Mm. Uh, now, when Mickey and Willie Mays were banned for the same reason, uh, Yankees owner George Steinbrenner said at the time, I think it's a crying shame that two great center fielders, two of the greatest in the history of the game, are both unable to have an active part in baseball because of casinos. Gambling is part of the way of life in this country. The states have made it legal in casino form. Well, Mickey and Willie were reinstated in 1985 by new commissioner Peter Uberoth, who overturned predecessor Bowie Kuhn's ban. The world changes, Uberoth said at a news conference. We're going to look for stronger, more clarified guidelines to keep gambling and baseball apart. Uh, I went through the files and I found there were people who owned baseball teams and casinos at the same time. Shocking, but true. Uh, now, Major League Baseball has all sorts of business deals with gaming operators, and that's barely three years after it lost an epic court battle to New Jersey thanks to the U.S. Supreme Court. I guess it's true what they say. If you live long enough. And with that, until next time, gamble on, everybody, and happy Fourth of July. <laughs>